Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Barbara Lowe Fisher, who, of course, has been with us many times. We have been supporting her for over a decade, her and her organization, not her personally, but her organization, which is National Vaccine Information Center, which she is the co-founder of and essentially runs most of the operation out there. And, and for the last 10 years, we've supported her uh, so much so that the Washington Post found out <laughs> a few years ago and reported me on, the, I think it was Christmas or Christmas Eve, like two years ago that they had, it was the front page for being the primary supporter of the anti-vax movement. <laughs> and I'm proud that I do that. So um, we're going to dialogue today about the, actually, it's not just me, it's you guys out there too, because, you know, this is a team, a joint effort. So it's collaboration. You know, I basically match the funds that you guys uh, donate and we are able to support her. And you're going to find out today in an update, you know, what those funds have been doing, because it's, you know, obviously this has been a banner year or two and, you know, we've been warning about this onslaught of tyrannical approaches to remove our freedoms. And, and you know, just the, the vaccines were sort of like the precursor of that. And, uh, you know, it's come to fruition and, you know, all the planning and preparation work has really had a big impact. And you're going to see just how big an impact it's had uh, as Barb discloses the details and the statistics. So welcome and thank you for joining us again. Oh, I'm always happy to have this conversation with you every year. Uh, it's uh, been an amazing three years. Actually, do you know you have supported us for 15 years? Oh, I thought In 2023, it it'll be 15 years. Oh, and my God. Really, yes, it really changed everything uh, for us in terms of being able to reach many more people with our message that we've been trying to send out for 40 years. This is our 40th anniversary in 2022. And, um, you know, it was parents of DPT vaccine injured children that launched the vaccine safety and informed consent movement in this country, the modern vaccine safety and informed consent movement, because really we owe a debt of gratitude to the parents and the doctors and the scientists back in the, the, the 1800s mm -hmm. and early 1900s that rang the first warning bell, and it was about smallpox vaccine and the mm -hmm. risks associated with that vaccine, one of the most reactive vaccines that's ever uh, been used. Um, until COVID. <laughs> until COVID, yes. Uh, I mean, the statistics, I was just looking at them this morning on in the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System on MetaAlerts, which has been operating since 2003, and NVIC has sponsored since 2006. But the VAERS system has logged in over 1.4 million adverse events associated with the COVID-19 vaccines and uh, 30, uh, over 30,000 deaths, about 15,000 of those reports of death reports are from the United States because the VAERS system does accept reports from, other, from foreign countries 
that use um, the the, uh, the U.S. vaccines. So it's a it, it's there. There's never been a vaccine that has generated that kind of adverse event reporting uh, ever in the history, uh, at least since 1990, since they started the VAERS system. And the VAERS system was actually created under under the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And the VAERS system was the uh, a unique contribution that we made, uh, that we insisted that there be a centralized vaccine adversement reporting system that was transparently open to the public, accessible by the public, and that the public could report reactions, not just doctors. So uh, the, the 1.4 million adverse events associated with COVID vaccines is the highest number ever recorded for a vaccine since 1990 and is comprises about half of all reports that have been made to VAERS since 1990. It's a stunning statistic. It's something that they cannot deny, even though they try to say, well, not everything that's reported is causally associated with the vaccines. Not every report that is made to VAERS. But of course, <laughs> they don't know how many uh, are or are not. And just the, the, the stark fact that more than half of the reports of VAERS have been made for COVID-19 vaccines is something that can't be denied. And of course, they're trying to deny the risks associated with the vaccines. They're covering up the autopsy reports. They will not release information on the autopsy reports, uh, even de-identified information. They will not uh, release de-identified information on myocarditis that's associated with, with the COVID, mRNA COVID vaccines, which really have market share. Uh, the COVID vaccine, uh, mRNA vaccines have the market share in this country. So it's, it's to me, when I look back at the last three, three years of this COVID uh, pandemic, all I see are, is, is, is lies and cover up. And it breaks my heart. <laughs> we tried for many, many decades, we presented to state legislatures, to the federal government, to the CDC, NIH, FDA, I sat on government vaccine advisory committees begging them to do the science, the biological mechanism work that would, would uh, inform uh, the policymakers about what happens in the body when vaccines are injected. Uh, and they refused to do that work so that they could identify people who are genetically and biologically and environmentally at high risk for having a vaccine reaction. They refused to reform the system uh, that would uh, take out the vaccine safety oversight mechanism from HHS, which has a legal uh, responsibility for developing vaccines, for regulating vaccines, for making policy for vaccines, and also has the safety oversight mechanism. This There is so much corruption now in this mass vaccination system because it has been hijacked by pharma, because Congress refused to have oversight on the whole vaccine program, and they have allowed pharma to hijack the system. Uh, it's no wonder that this has occurred on this vaccine because there were failures all along for 40 years, failures to deal with the problem of conflicts of interest within the vaccine, mass vaccination program. Couldn't agree with you more, Barb. Uh, it's just shocking to me that, uh, well, maybe not shocking, it's just sad. I think sad might be the most appropriate adjective uh, for expressing my feelings that uh, they were unable to integrate these warnings and instead chose to follow the pharma model, uh, which is a real testimony to the success of pharma's um, and the global cabal's efforts to capture 
the public and really shift the narrative. And, and this last two years has been, it's, it really is a uh, dystopian reality that we're into, that they could get away with this travesty of justice and killing people with, with an a, a untested uh, intervention that has been shown repeatedly to cause harm and damage uh, to people and subsequently it's, it's you know the future is going not going to look kindly in what they've done well you know last night i was reading the lancet commission report that was released last month that's jeffrey sachs the one he was yes and 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 basically that commission is filled with doctors who are who are affiliated with universities and institutes that that are funded by government and pharma in the world and and associated with the World Health Organization. And so they were originally formed task force to look at the origins of COVID, of SARS-CoV-2, which still, still there is a huge debate about. And of course, at the beginning of the of the pandemic, they immediately said it was zoonotic, it was, it was an animal a virus that jumped from a bat into a human being. Uh, but then very quickly, people, scientists were saying, wait a minute, you know, dissident scientists, wait a minute, it could have come from a lab. But anyway, they said they couldn't pursue that. They couldn't pursue that investigation because it became so politicized and the commission members were attacked and pressured. So what did they do? They wrote this report, this unbelievably political report that that and in the editorial that accompanies this report, basically make a pitch for what they call pro uh, pro sociality, and what that means is that what they want is for all countries to adopt a collectivist uh, philosophy and move away from focusing on the individual. So the culture wars that are going on in the world are really about collectivism versus individualism. This country, the United States of America, was founded on basic the basic concept that the individual has rights which limit the power of the state. And that's why we have a Bill of Rights in the US Constitution and, and, and why we have had in this country respect for freedom of thought and speech and conscience and religious belief and assembly, all of those things in the Bill of Rights that allow the individual to limit the power of the state. But these people, and I'm talking basically the World Health Organization, these folks want to have a major reorganization and a refocus on the collectivist ideology, which means that the individual is less important than the state. And what they're calling for is more power and more money to be given to the World Health Organization so that future pandemics can be handled better. And one of the top things they say, they focus on, is the fact that in the societies that are more individualistic, like the US and Europe, have more civil liberties, more respect for the individual. Uh, there was a disobedience. People protested. People would not agree uniformly to masking and lockdowns and vaccination. 
they want more power and more money to create basically a quasi-world government that is led by the World Health Organization, public health officials. And I, I, I sat there reading this report last night, and I, I could not believe that they think they can get away with this. It is completely political. It is not scientific or medical. They blame everybody but themselves for what for the pandemic response that has ruined economies, that is that has affected the mental health and the educational status of children and adults, and has caused such devastation. And not to mention the fact they never they never ever talk about the the, um, the vaccine side effects. They completely ignore that. They just are so angry. I mean, open hatred for anybody who disagrees with them. So this is very dangerous. This comes from a very prestigious medical journal. And if you look at the other lessons learned of the COVID pandemic that are now being published by other institutes and universities, et cetera, that, that are associated with pharma and funding from pharma and government, this country, better we better start realizing that what happened it, with COVID had as much to do with politics and ideology as it did about a virus. If you look at the World Health or- uh, Economic Forum uh, that basically uh, has called for the great reset of societies, it's the same thing that was said in this Lancet, Lancet Commission report. They talk about hiring more behavioral psychologists and others to persuade people to be more obedient the next time around, it's, it's, it's really shocking. And some of the biggest universities are represented in this commission. Yeah, I, I think it's shocking if you believe that they were well-intentioned, uh, objective, impartial scientists and researchers and leaders seeking to address this. But you know, it, it's, it's abundantly clear that this was by, all by design. This was not an accident. This was planned. They intended to have these results. They knew they were, they intended to crush the economy, to, to destroy people's lives. This was their, their, their goal. They, they succeeded in their goal. This wasn't an, an accident. This was all planned. So, well, you know, if you look at, you know, I have not been someone who has in my in my career, I've not been someone who has subscribed to what they call conspiracy theories. <laughs> but I can tell you, I can tell you that I'm now taking a second look um, because when I saw that they had had the special planning event, yeah, been two hundred one, yeah, yes, funded in in, in October of twenty nineteen funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I think, and was it the World Economic Forum? I can't remember the yeah, They were there, 100% World yeah. Economic Forum, and the U.S. military, CIA, military intelligence was there too. Well, you know, I know they had done one also prior to 911. Uh, as I was doing my research, I found that pre, pre-emergency uh, <laughs> planning event. But at any rate, uh, the 2019, October 2019 event, use the coronavirus, a novel coronavirus, as the example of what you needed to do in, in uh, when, a, when a pandemic occurs. And then, of course, you have the, the pandemic uh, of being identified in December, or the virus being identified in December and in full swing in January and February 
when all the lockdowns. And I, when I think back, I remember Fauci saying, we just need to flatten the curve. We just need to hide in our houses and mask up and not see our friends or our family, you know, like basically isolate, self-isolate, just to flatten the curve. <laughs> and that soon morphed into a basic approach, which was you all mm -hmm. have to hide out and not do anything in society and not send your kids to school and not visit your dying relatives in the hospital uh, until the vaccine comes. Yeah, and that was all discussed in the Bet 201, as was the misinformation and disinformation campaigns and how are they were going to discredit people and uh, essentially deplatform. That was all discussed in Event 201. They planned this. It was totally planned. Well, you know, Dr. Marcola, you know, having been here for 40 years doing this work, and I sat on, like I said, many government advisory committees, vaccine advisory committees at the Institute of Medicine. I was the consumer representative that was trying to inform them about how they, basically how they could fix their system. If they would listen to the people, they if they would deal with the problems and not try to cover it up and ignore them. But of course, very, a very hubristic, I mean, the hubris at these tables was, was just more than I'd ever seen in any any forum. And they obviously didn't think they needed to listen to the people who were suffering from the Well, let's be clear vaccine. about who this they are. The, the large percentage and perhaps maybe the majority of people who work in these organizations are not the they. And they are just following orders. And many times these are people who are not courageous and are afraid of losing their jobs and is becoming unemployed. That's the staff people, but I was at the table with the leaders. I was at the table with the ones who had risen to positions of power. Yeah, in the agency. They're controlling the game either. There's people above them that are that are directly. Well, you know, here's the thing. When do you when does personal responsibility come into play? When does conscience come into play? That's what they asked at Nuremberg. You know, <laughs> I mean, we all have to take responsibility for the actions that we take and the things we say and do. Mm -hmm. And I felt it was very frustrating to try to help them understand that the people were suffering, that they needed to be better scientists and physicians, that they needed to care about those people and not write them off as acceptable sacrifices. And when I finally realized after several decades that they had absolutely no intention mm -hmm. of fixing anything mm -hmm. or of learning or trying to screen out people, that they didn't care. Mm -hmm. That's when I realized <laughs> that this was a, a much bigger problem than I originally had had thought when we were looking at just DPT vaccine. So, you know, I, I feel like every doctor who gives vaccines needs to take personal responsibility for finding out really the risks associated with these vaccines. I don't think they're doing that. I think that they're just following orders. And that's why following orders and attacking freedom of thought and speech and conscience is so dangerous because of the herd mentality can cause great devastation like we have seen. I mean, at this point, only 30% of the entire world population has not had a dose of COVID vaccine. That's, they've never been able to do that before. To have basically two thirds of the world population have received at least one dose of COVID vaccine. That's pretty amazing. And the, the amount of money that's involved 
And the, those numbers are actually higher if you go to the developed world, because most of the 30% that have been about jabbed are been in the, in, like in Africa and in South America, these rural, rural third world countries, which didn't accept this philosophy or they were just overlooked because they weren't able to earn large sums of money. Farmer wasn't. So they didn't. And guess what? Them. In the commission report, the Lanza commission report, they note, they, they scratching their heads and saying, wait a minute. Europe and the United States had so many deaths, mm -hmm. so many more deaths from COVID than countries in Africa and other places that didn't have as sophisticated public health systems. And they, they make no connection <laughs> with the fact that the countries that had highly developed public health systems the people that had a high vaccination rate in this country, I think that the, at least one dose has been given to 78% of people in this yeah. country. Yeah. So that's far more than this, the seven, 70%. So it's, it's basically a quarter have not been jabbed right. in this, right. in this country, which is sad. That's the only thing I can say. Yeah. And it, but, it, but, it, <clears throat> I do think we have an opportunity because the latest the latest surveys out, like from Pew, oh sure, yeah, show that there has been a a decline in trust in public health officials, which is predictable because they kept changing their policies. They they kept denying things. They, so of course, the biggest lie that was told was that this this, this COVID vaccine would prevent infection and transmission. That is something that everybody assumed because all other vaccines were being promoted as, as, as a preventing infection and transmission. Uh, only people who read that FDA briefing document at the very beginning, like I did and like you did, uh, and saw that the, the manufacturers were only required by the FDA to prove at least 50% efficacy in preventing severe COVID disease not in preventing infection and transmission. Only if you looked at that, would you realize that from the get-go, they knew the vaccines were not going to prevent infection and transmission. They never Only tested for it. Yeah. There, mm -hmm. there was a leader in the Pfizer's board who just announced that last week. It was admitted that they never tested for it. And that 50% reduction was a, a just a bastardization of statistics because the reality, they got up to 95%, but they conflated relative and absolute uh, risk. So the actual absolute risk was under 1%. I think it was like a half or 0.7% reduction, not 50%, but they changed, they played with the numbers and, and changed the statistics on it. And it was able to qualify. That's right. And people believed it. They, they kept telling people, oh, we get 70% uh, coverage of the vaccine, 80% coverage, 90. It doesn't matter how high the coverage would be you're still going to have the virus circulating. But, you know, it's right. interesting because I learned with pertussis vaccine, whole cell pertussis vaccine, and it's true for acellular pertussis vaccine as well, which is less reactive, but it's a leaky vaccine. You, you can get vaccinated with pertussis, actually with influenza vaccine, with most of the vaccines. And there are going to be a portion of people, and they never have bothered to find out how many, that are going to go on to get infected, show few or no symptoms and transmit. So the whole concept of this idea that if you have this high vaccination rate in a society, 
you're going to prevent the circulation of the virus or bacteria. Bacteria is just is flawed, and it sure was showed with this vaccine. Well, yeah, I don't so- call it a vaccine. I call it a cell disruptor biological because it's 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 really a biological product that cannot be considered a vaccine in the traditional sense. Even though they changed the definition to qualify for such. But the, they you know, did. They-, they finally changed the definition. And actually, they changed the definition in, the, in the 2021 of, vac- of vaccine and vaccination to, to not be associated with a prevention, uh, a, a, an immunological response that will prevent the disease, but only an immunological response. That is, the vaccine causes a response of the immune system. Uh, so again, they're moving away from this idea that vaccination prevents infection and transmission. Yeah, it's a brilliant marketing uh, strategy and because virtually no one, way under 1% of the population will ever, ever remember they changed the definition. That just, they, they thought, they'll assume it was always like that. And they, they changed the definition for a lot of things in this pandemic even the definition of a pandemic. But anyway, I, I, you know, I don't want to c- continue going on a Debbie Downer route. And there, <laughs> this is a um, devastating our journey uh, in, in, in this path. But there are a very few silver linings. And I don't think there's anyone better qualified than you to comment in them. And one you implied earlier is that there is a large number of people, and that's what I was wondering if you can give us a suggestion as what those numbers might be, but clearly many people have awakened to this. Certainly those who have been, well, maybe not those who've been injured. I mean, there are people and families of people who have died from this jab and still are so seriously brainwashed and propagandized that they don't believe it had anything to do with it. And they may be the majority of people. I don't know, but it's a fair number of people. But nevertheless, there's still a number of people who, as a result of what they did, they tried to pull off, or they tried, they pulled off. They uh, were able to uh, alert some people that something's wrong. So I'm wondering what your suspicion is to the numbers of those. Clearly, they they were not able to uh, to have virtually any impact on the on the parents of those who are younger than five. They 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 uh, fraudulently had that, that jab approved for that age group. And only it was less, I still think it's less than 5% of the population who've jabbed their kids under five years old. So they have not, mm-hmm. not been able to hit, reach those parents, but you know, and the older you get, the more big, the more that they adopt it. But what do you think the numbers are? How many, what percentage of it have changed their views as a result of what they've well, I think that what's happened with COVID, this whole pandemic and the pan- the response really of the health officials to this uh, circulation of this virus uh, has changed the landscape of vaccination for forever, or at least for the foreseeable uh, long time. They'll never they're never going to totally recover from the public perception that this was a botched response to this novel uh, coronavirus. I, I think that parents particularly, having watched this over four decades, I think parents particularly are very suspicious that the health authorities are not telling them the truth and the whole truth you know, about vaccination, this vaccine and potentially about the other vaccines. 
I do think there's going to be fallout on the other other vaccines, acceptance of other vaccines, because of the way they've handled this vaccine. It's it's true. A very low percentage of parents uh, with children under five have gotten them uh, the COVID vaccine. I think at the last five ten percent might might be accurate. I I, I haven't looked at the at recently, Single but difference. I know that most surveys show that parents of young children are basically most of them are rejecting this vaccine. There's a higher uptake of children from five to eleven, and then the teenagers. I think about half maybe have had at least one dose of the vaccine. So they have got some pretty uh, significant public relations <laughs> problems here now in terms of. I, I don't think there will ever be another vaccine that comes on the market that is targeting children that will not be highly questioned by a lot of parents. Well, I think yeah, they've made a huge mistake in what they've done. So any guesses of the percentage of the population that got away? Is it 10%, 20, 30? I don't think it's any more than 30. I don't either. Yeah, it's maybe 10, 10. I'm thinking somewhere between 10 and 20%, probably. Got of the young, young children. No, no, of, of the population in general that, you know, understands it at a, at a deeper level now. But the, here's, the, here's the dilemma. So even if, say, it was 70% woke up and they realized this is a fraud. Oh, waking up. I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. I misunderstood what you were trying to say, get at. You're trying to get at how many people, what percentage of the population potentially are now questioning vaccination. Right. Skeptical, skeptical. Skeptical. I'd say half. Wow, vaccine skeptics up to 50%. That's the, that could be headline for this article. I'd say half because if you look at uh, the recent surveys and you look at co- public confidence in the CDC recommendations or public health officials, you, you have a split, half and half. And it, it, hmm. it falls a lot along political lines and it goes back to the collectivist versus the individual Again, I believe this is the culture war. This is the global culture war. Our society so you, is mostly going to be collectivist or oriented to protecting individual rights. What do you think that percentage was prior to the, the pandemic? If it was 50% now. 30%. 30%. All right, so it's up 20%. I would say, yes, I would. Yeah. And so I almost, think... Um, good. That's good. You know, we talked about it a bit at the beginning of this pandemic, like where they started introducing the jabs, like in January 2021, that the government shut down the swine flu program in the late 70s, mid to late 70s, I think maybe 77, 78, you might remember. 76. 76, yeah, sorry, 76, because 50 people, five, zero people died. They shut it down and they paid billions of dollars in damages, billions of dollars. What a contrast 50 years later. Unbelievable, a radical, shocking change, of course. It's because Congress allowed pharma to co-opt the mass vaccination system. When I started this work and would go to those meetings at government, that pharma was kind of on the sidelines. They might have one rep from pharma at the table, but pharma did not run that show. There was at mm-hmm. least equal power on the part of, of, of FDA that regulates vaccines. 
And I in your earlier comments, I agree with you. The rank and file of the agencies are are, are they're good people. They 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 wanted they became government employees because they wanted to do something good. And uh, it's the people at the top <laughs> who are really uh, betraying their trust and betraying all of our trust because there's too close of a relationship now between industry and government. These public-private business partnerships that have grown up and have been allowed by Congress over the last uh, 30 years especially have corrupted the system. You cannot have the yeah. same people who are profiting from the product in charge of making policy and regulating and oversight on safety of the product. No, um, it's a it's prescription for absolute disaster. And the founding fathers of this country knew that and they, they attempted to implement regulatory controls on this. But after a few centuries, it's hard for those not to be perverted and bastardized. And these business strategies that the farmers companies have implemented are just beyond extraordinarily effective. I mean, they're just brilliant. And now, yeah, if, I mean, I'm, if, not, I'm not agreeing with them, but they're achieving what they want to do, which is complete control and massive revenue increases. And, and you know, so that it works. These guys were successful. No question about it. You cannot take that away from them. But you know, one of the reasons they were successful too, in this last three years, is because they shut down all the scent. And you and your company and me and my nonprofit organization were at the very top of the hit list. After we held our conference online in October of 2020, what happened? And in fact, I found out looking at The Lancet last night that there was an article published in The Lancet in March of 2021 talking about how all this disinformation and misinformation and these anti-vaccine groups, these groups criticizing the COVID vaccine, how they were to blame for not being able to get everybody to line up and take this vaccine. And, and MVIC was deplatformed in March of 2021 by Facebook, Instagram. Then we were deplatformed by Twitter. Then we were deplatformed by uh, YouTube, all of my all of my commentaries for over a decade, completely gone. And and then PayPal in December of 2021, two days, a couple of days before Christmas in the midst of our, our, our end of the year fundraising campaign without warning one night, blocked all donations to MVIC without warning, completely tanking our fundraising campaign. And you know, you know what they've done to you. That, that these people who are this, this uh, collaboration between certain government officials and the big tech companies, and they have gone after you relentlessly, but we were white, we were completely taken off of social media in 2021. This hampers the ability of people who have history, who have knowledge, who have something to say from being able to communicate in the public square, which is the online, the online access is the new 21st century public square. Mm -hmm. And so we're completely blocked from communicating with the majority of people here or in other countries. 
Yeah, I, I perceive this as a transitional state uh, because you know we were fortunate to have these platforms uh, when they were first launched. They were they were free freedom or free not well. They didn't have censorship enacted for the most part. That was done properly. But then as time evolved, they morphed into these uh, collaborations with the global cabal. Essentially, they were used for the cabal's uh, intention and goals of, of controlling the population towards essentially towards slavery and depopulation. And, and they've been very successful. So, but I think that when I say we're in transition, I believe that eventually new platforms will pop up and that will most likely be decentralized. So they can't be uh, uh, platformed at all. And, and the freedom of speech will exist. So I don't know what the time frame is, but I'm pretty confident that we will have a free internet at some point. Well, that's really great to hear. And I know if anybody can do it, well, not, I, can do it. <laughs> I'll be aware of it. I don't know that my skill set is in that area, but I certainly will be networked with the people who who do have those talents and, and skills and will be able to put this together. It's going to require a lot of effort and skills to pull this thing off because there's going to be such an effort towards uh, destroying it, which just like they did with Parler, essentially. So, so well, you know what, what gladdened my heart really uh, in the last few years is to see the numbers of people, the millions of people total, who stood up in the real public, the public squares, the physical public squares, in London and in in Berlin and in Rome and in Amsterdam, so many places around the world, Canada, and stood up for their freedom, yeah. for their right to be able to assemble and to be able to have free speech and to be able to say no to, to a vaccine they considered to be too dangerous. And that they, you can tell from these reports, these lesson learned reports that are coming out from these big universities, these doctors who are furious that the public dared, that, that, that a significant portion of the public dared to stand up and in public and fight for their freedom. And this is a good sign for us it means that the the spirit of uh, freedom that lives in in the hearts of so many people around the world it is not dead. It mm -hmm. is not uh, gone, and uh, this is something that we can build on because all we're asking for is the right to have full information about these pharmaceutical products and be able to make an informed and voluntary decision. Nobody's telling people not to do it. Nobody's telling people, uh, you know, you know, that you shouldn't make vaccines. You know, it, I believe in the free market system, and I believe that we should the, the, the a product should be subject to the forces of the marketplace that shouldn't be forced on anybody. If people want the product, that's their choice. That is their choice. But they shouldn't force people to do something that's against their conscience, against their their uh, in, intellectual analysis of the product. I know I come from a family that has a lot of autoimmunity and allergies and, and we're at risk with a vaccine like this vaccine. And people shouldn't be forced to put their physical health at risk if they believe that they're gonna be harmed by it. That's just, that's tyranny. 
was a force forcing. It was a coercion in so many circumstances. The, the vast, I would even venture to guess that maybe the majority of people either felt coerced socially because of the concern that the, the media fed them that they were going to be a threat to people they loved or couldn't see their parents that were in a, a living assisted living facilities, or they would lose their job, which maybe a third of the population or more. I don't know what the statistics are, but it's at least a third, maybe the majority who would lose their form of employment if they refused to take the jab. I mean, that is almost essentially the same as being forced. It, it forced is. to the point where you don't really have a rational choice. Now, some people who took the courage and, and did lose their jobs. And I, you know, I just enormous respect for those people who had that level of courage and willingness, willing to be essentially homeless rather than choose the death jab. We get letters from people who were, you know, heads of the fa- their families who were responsible for feeding and housing mm-hmm. their families. And they were put, made to make this Faustian choice of whether or not to put their health at risk by getting that vaccine that they felt they were at risk of having a reaction to, or of uh, saving their, you know, to save their job, or of losing their job and mm-hmm. not being able to provide for their family. And literally families went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a terrible thing to do to people. And others who, like you pointed out, uh, I know certainly at, I mean, the virus is not an innocuous virus for some people. It mm-hmm. has caused a lot of health problems for people because it's not a normal virus. It's when engineered. Look, it's a bioweapon. <laughs> that's right. When you look at the weird stuff that's going on with this virus and the kinds of health problems associated with it, the long COVID, et cetera, it's not something to be dismissed. It hurt a lot of people. Because it is most likely a bioengineered virus that came out of a lab. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and prominence of evidence, evidence is incredibly powerfully strong. I know. I know. I remember when Luc Montagnier, who is now dead, uh, who died, I think, last year, at the very beginning, he did he, he the analysis and he said, <laughs> This is a man made virus. Yeah. This isn't a. A spontaneous, uh, you know, again, I go back to on top of all of this deception and cover up, uh, you know, they want to muzzle anybody who brings up these issues. If you don't learn from your experience, you're going to repeat it. And this is why reports like the Lancet Commission report are so dangerous, because all they want to do is do more of the same the next time around and force more people to salute smartly. That's not the way you problem solve when you have a botched response to a, a virus is to just pat yourself on the back and say, basically, we just need to do more of it. Well, we it is, it when, it, when, it, when it is when someone who has nefarious intentions is in charge of the show. So, but I, what I wanted to pivot now to a promise I made at the beginning, which is to help people understand the legislative uh, foreground or battleground that's occurred in the last year or two. So I was wondering if you can give us an update on what's happened and how NBIC has been so instrumental. And uh, I think people are going to be really happy when they hear this report. Yes. Well, we we launched the uh, the NBIC advocacy portal in 2010, shortly after we began our partnership with you. 
And uh, this is an online uh, a, a, an online network. It's free. You become you can become a user of it for free. And it, what it does is it lets you know when vaccine related bills are moving in your state. And it oftentimes we have position papers. MVIC will point out talking points that you can use when you talk to your state legislators because vaccine laws are state laws. It's basically state oriented. And so for the last more than decade, we've been educating state legislators about the need to protect uh, informed consent rights in public health laws when it comes to vaccination. And, you know, it's been a, a process, an educational process. And we're, I'm so glad we started it because in 2021, I reported last year in our, our interview for Vaccine Awareness Week that not one state had passed a COVID vaccine mandate. Now the Washington DC did, but that's not a state. But no state legislature legislature voted for a COVID vaccine mandate. That's huge. I mean, that's really big considering how many other countries did it. Um, anyway, uh, for the 22 legislative 2022 legislative session, MVIC analyzed 900 vaccine related bills uh, for the portal. Uh, we had over two times the number of bills that we supported this year than we opposed. That's a record. For us to, to support more than two times the numbers of total bills uh, means that those bills were positive bills. What were they? Uh, they were bills that prohibited COVID vaccine mandates in many areas for students and, and employees and patients. Uh, they required vaccine exemptions to be available for employer COVID-19 vaccine mandates, and they prohibited discri discrimination over COVID-19 vaccination status. Uh, so more bills that we supported passed than we opposed. And we have a full report that we're making on Thursday of this week. Uh, that will give you the status of many different states and the different bills that are proposed in the states and whether they passed or they or they did not pass. So uh, we're really proud of our of our record in the states uh, because again, vaccine laws are state laws. I, I'm a big believer that you have to participate in government. You we must participate in this government because only by showing up at the polls and voting for people who will affirm natural rights, human rights, civil liberties, you know, that are in the in the Bill of Rights. Only by electing those kind of people will we be able to function in the society and protect it from becoming a collectivist society where the state is supreme and where individuals are devalued and individual rights are eliminated. So uh, I don't believe in giving up on government. I believe it's the only thing that's going to save us is to, to, to be involved in the system and pass laws that govern us that we can support. So um, thanks for that summary and a few questions or responses to that. And one is that you shared that you supported twice the number of bills that were passed than you did last year. So to me, that's a strong implication, certainly not uh, causal necessarily, but it could be used to support the fact that the number of people who are vaccine skeptics also doubled. 
also doubled, which is pretty close to what we had concluded prior to you mentioning that number. We thought it was about 30% prior to the pandemic and maybe 50% afterwards. It's pretty close. So do you have any thoughts on that? No, I would agree with you. You know, again, this is a incremental process. I've always said mm-hmm. that this, this is a marathon, not a sprint. It, it has mm-hmm. taken 40 years to get to this point. A lot of people have woken up over the years, but the, the, the history of vaccination, this idea that everyone has to get vaccinated in order to protect the community is a very, very strong, strong historical concept. And uh, I think as more information comes out about what vaccines do and don't do, can and can't do, uh, about the risks associated with vaccines and the failures of vaccines, only when more information is understood by the public will we have more of these laws changing to protect informed consent rights. Because that's our goal, is for people to be able to have information and certainly not just about vaccination, but about health and how to stay healthy and how to heal. One of the reasons that the public health officials and others, certainly pharmaceutical industry, don't like what you're doing, Dr. Mercola, is because you're offering people another way to stay healthy rather than solely relying on use of so many vaccines from cradle to the grave and and, and synthetic drugs. You're, you're showing them a more natural, less toxic way to live. And they they don't like that because it's competition for the ideology and for the the bottom line of these companies that are that are trying to basically keep us, what I would say, always in chemical chains. And you're trying to help people break through through free of those chemical change. And, and, and so NVIC you know, has been talking about the the ability to make free choices about vaccination and vaccines. Uh, And that's why we were synergistic in in our messaging, because we we both believe that people ought to have free choice. No question about that. Um, So the other aspect I wanted to discuss with respect to the uh, legislative update was how many bills you were, of the negative bills, the ones you didn't support, how many of those were able to get passed and how many of those were you able to knock out of the box? Um, okay, so I was doing a quick review here. I don't have that number. I don't have the number. I only have more bills uh, passed that we supported than that we opposed. And the, the numbers will be in the report. The other important thing is these these minor consent bills is something that I've written about and, and the creator of the report or portal, Don Richardson, who is our director of advocacy has written about. And that is uh, this idea that children as young as 11 years old should have the the ability to to exercise uh, informed consent to vaccination without the knowledge or consent of their parents. That that law passed in DC and there have been multiple attempts in other states to pass the same kind of minor consent uh, bills in, in, in other states and they all failed this year. So that's a good sign as well. The, the actual numbers will be in the report that we publish on Thursday. Okay, great. So that's good news. I mean, obviously, D.C. is a relatively small community. I don't know how big it is, but I can't imagine it's big, more than tens of thousands of people. Uh, highly uh, partisan and, move, and shifted left. So it would be difficult to 
to pass something there. But even if it was passed adversely, it was, it's going to impact a very few amount of people. But the, the, the good news is that the other states, which have much larger communities, millions of people, they weren't able to, to pass it at all. Good news. It's great news. And again, it shows the education of the state legislators, and it shows that they're listening to their constituents. And I think this is this is good news for all of us. It shows that when you get active, when you take talking points to your legislators, when you have your facts straight and you sit down with with the people that you elect and explain to them why it's important to protect vaccine freedom of choice, most of them are listening. Not all of them, but many of them, many more than they did before COVID, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. So, you know, the reason we're doing this interview is because it's our annual thing to do. I mean, we do it with Vaccine Awareness Week to, to remind people and uh, that you can be, we're, we're here to support you in this process. And the vaccine portal is probably one of the best uh, tools that you've developed and leveraged and are using continuously to benefit the public. It, it, it's such a powerful tool. And I'm so glad that you've been able to do that, but it can't, I mean, it requires funding to do that. Yes. And, you know, and I, uh, admitted to this a long time ago because I had this guilt vaccinating kids when I was practicing for 10 years because they didn't know any better. Well, they didn't, they didn't include it in the curriculum, did they? In the school you went to, that's just the no, thing. But the last thing I want to do was hurt kids. Sure. So I'm so happy to be supporting you, but you know, many people watching did stupid stuff like I did without the knowledge. So this is your opportunity to pay penance <laughs> You know, to bring it forward, to help other people wake up before it's too late, before they die needlessly or get damaged for the rest of their life, crippled, disabled, essentially autistic for the rest of their life, burden on their family and society, and just crushed. So helping support this is a powerful thing, and I definitely recommend you do it. I thank you so much for everything that you've done over the last 15 years, especially uh, to encourage people to get educated about vaccines and diseases and to make informed decisions. This has made all the difference in the world uh, in terms of our being able to get this message out, uh, even though they're trying to block it, uh, even though they're trying to shut us down. Um, you know, we're going to continue we're going to continue as long as it takes to get the job done. So I, I thank you for everything you've done. Well, I thank you for being a great partner and, you know, continuing with the battle despite, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of flack at us and that's because we're over the target and they want to take out the people who are interfering with their objectives and agenda. So, um, uh, and interfering, we have. We've done magnificently. We're probably some of the strongest voices out there warning people about this. So it's a good partnership, and I'm just happy to be connected with it. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting, too, and I was thinking about this, is that 
I was so involved in, in belief so much of prevention because my whole reason for going into medicine was prevention and wellness. I was one of the oddballs in medical school who really was there to help people get better and well, not treat disease. And I knew that. And my impression, the two biggest things were stopping smoking and, and vaccinating people. And I remember really clearly when I was in school that Robert Mendelssohn, who was one of the great leaders, one of the great leaders in this movement uh, from the University of Illinois, where I went to school, I just thought he was the biggest quack and an embarrassment to the profession. And, you know, fortunately he passed before I ever got a chance to connect with him. Um, but I, I so embraced it that I, I was the cover boy for the, the osteopathic medical school profession, the, the schools. And I was, a, I was literally the front cover of the, man, the student handbook manual <laughs> showing, giving me a, it was either a tuberculosis screen or, or some type of immunization to the, of some rural poor community. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a, it's an interesting reminder for me how, com how committed I was to, to doing something like that and not understanding the full picture. So anyway, we learn and we move on. And, you know, as you said, I think one of the really big silver linings of this is that maybe up to, we potentially doubled doubled. And I think that's going to be the headline for this article, the number of vaccine skeptics who are questioning the validity of this intervention. So that's going to save so many lives, you know, because what occurred to me as we're talking the first hundred years after 1910, when Rockefeller essentially took control of the, the health medical system in the United States, he shifted over to the pharmacological paradigm. And although the, these vaccines are technically classified as pharmacological innovation, they are not petroleum byproducts. They are not petroleum byproducts. So they're not being used to, as a venue to increase revenues to the Rockefeller Foundation. But indirectly, they are because many people don't understand that the Rockefellers directly or indirectly own 50% of pharma. 50% of pharma is owned by the Rockefellers. So they, but the, the point that I'm trying to make is that they shifted from the drugs to the vaccines and largely, and we know this is because they eliminated any liability. I mean, there are, there have been a, a fair number, at least, I mean, single digits probably of, of ones that I can recall where lawsuits and litigation was aimed at pharma where they had multi-billion dollar judgments awarded, multi-billion dollars. That, that's a big liability. They've eliminated that with these. There is, there is no way, well, there's way, but it's almost impossible to successfully uh, initiate a, a successful lawsuit against pharma for their, for their vaccines. So that's their new model. And they have hundreds, and maybe you can address this, hundreds of additional vaccines in the pipeline. They are, they are substituting these new drugs that take so many years and, and still are required to do real trials to prove them, even though they can fake those, because they still are able to launch drugs and get them approved, and that'll kill tens of thousands of people. And it happens regularly, regularly, because they, they, they cheat. They're, they're fraudulent studies. They manipulate systems. They know the loopholes. So, um, but, but the... the, the, the point I was seeking to make is that they're shifting to this vaccine model. So they're, they're having much less investment in, in R&D and research and development for these new drugs, and it's really shifting to vaccines. And that's going to be, that's, that's the future. That is absolutely the future. That's what we're up against. They're going to have a vaccine for just about every disease.
which is violates every basic tenant of human biology and physiology. It, they, vaccines will never address the foundational issues that cause human disease, which is failure to integrate commitments to ancestral lifestyles. And once we veer from that, because you can't change, I guess you could potentially in the future, not now, certainly, you can't, we, our genes have been modified over tens of thousands of years. And as a result, they, they don't shift overnight. Now you can't do that with CRISPR-Cas9 technology, but that's loaded with lots of flaws and, and it's gonna cause far more harm than good before this, they ever figured that out. And it's certainly not in our lifetimes. But essentially, if you fail to integrate these ancestral principles, you're going to get sick. And a vaccine, whatever vaccine it is, is not the answer. It's not the solution. No, you're absolutely right. And the, the whole liability issue in the United States in 1976 on the swine flu vaccine, the company said, we're not going to make this swine flu vaccine unless you give us liability protection. And that's why the government paid out all that money to the people who got Guillain-Barre syndrome after the swine flu vaccine in 76. Fast forward to 1982, DPT vaccine roulette, the Emmy award-winning documentary on the dangers of DPT vaccine. Our organization formed, I wrote, co-wrote DPT, A Shot in the Dark, which documented the failures and the risks associated with pertussis vaccine. The, the uh, companies said they were going to stop pr producing childhood vaccines unless Congress gave them liability protection. Congress told us, we're going to do this. We can do it with you or without you. We came to the table. We fought as hard as we could. And when that law was passed in 86, the company still had liability for design defect. Failure to make a safer vaccine, the doctor still had medical malpractice liability we're putting a child at risk by not properly vaccinating according to contraindications, et cetera. So when that law was passed, we did successfully protect liability in the civil courts. Unfortunately, within literally months of the law passing, the same people who supported the law started to make deals. And the first thing they did was they let the doctors off the hook in the December of 1987. Then they started gutting the safety and the compensation provisions. And then in 2011, the U.S. Supreme Court eliminated design defect liability, leaving the industry with literally, effectively, no liability for vaccine products. Okay, From between 2011 and 2020, <laughs> they went to town with all this research and they came up with a product for this pandemic that cannot be defined as a vaccine in the traditional sense. So what are they doing? You're right. They're gonna be creating these vaccines that are really pharmaceutical products. I don't know how you describe them. Using all of this genetic engineering to try to force the body, the cells of the body to act in a way that they believe the cells should act. That's certainly what they did with the mRNA COVID vaccines. They turned the cells into, in the words of the World Health or uh, World Economic Forum, vaccine production plants. So what, you know, wasn't a wasn't a vaccine. It was a spike bioengineered spike protein right. that they produced. That was not a vaccine. That was a spike, the most damaging part of the infection. 
That's right. So what are they going to do? They're going to label, put the label vaccine on any product that they want to, that they say addresses the prevention of the treatment of disease. Yes, you're right, because they'll have liability protection because the Supreme Court completely took it away in 2011. If we still had design defect, we could have gone to court on this vaccine, the mRNA vaccine. But because we don't have an ability to super design defect, there's nothing except for if you can prove criminal fraud and gross negligence. Which they might be able to do. They might be able to do that. I mean, there's enough evidence to support it. The the, the argument against it was the government already knew about this. So it can't be fraud. (laughs) That was their argument. And it might win. I don't know. But, you know, it's the best I can. Because you're right. That fraud is the only thing they can be successfully sued on yeah and, and it's almost know. impossible to show yeah because they cut they they withhold all the documents i mean it, it, pfizer is the publicity everywhere about how many documents pfizer has withheld you know it it's this vaccine if we had all the information that we needed to have on what has been done with this mrna vaccine there definitely would be lawsuits that would win but we, the information's withheld. By design. Because <laughs> it captured all the systems. <laughs> all right. Well, we don't want to condone you to go down the Debbie Downer thing because <laughs> we, we really, you know, there, there are strategies that can be done. You know, you, you can be empowered personally. You can be relatively uh, authentically immunized by, pro, by following the strategies I recommend for you. And I come up with a new book that's really next year, early next year, hopefully that will summarize all these and help you and your family really uh, develop a strategic plan to implement them. But it's all pretty much, this is nothing new information I'm revealing. It's just a summary of what I've been teaching over the last 25 years. So when you follow these programs, you will um, essentially immunize yourself. You won't, you typically will remove the barriers to your immune functioning the way it was designed to, so that you can, uh, essentially come out of these infections that you're exposed to and live a healthy life and you not be encumbered and challenged by these chronic degenerative diseases that in many cases are almost always caused by the big pharma and big, big food industry. Uh, because you, you know, you're not following these ancestral principles. So um, just doing that and then, helping support organizations like Barb would be a really powerful way to do it because, you know, you have to have an alternative. It's just not like you can't, you just can't stop your, the, your drugs, your doctor puts you on. You can't, it's foolish because they're, they're addressing an important symptom, a warning sign that your body's giving you that you need to address like high blood pressure statins. You probably could drop because those are worthless, but, but they're still, most people seem to benefit or many people seem to benefit from it because they are, um, addressing a risk factor that is not related to the amount of cholesterol, but the type of cholesterol. And it's usually from the foods that you're eating is too much omega-6. So if you lower your omega-6, then you can do it. So you just don't stop statins. You stop statins and get off of omega-6. You don't stop your high blood pressure. You stop the high blood pressure and, 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 and do something in addition that's going to address the foundational component like exercise and changing your diet and becoming metabolically flexible. Those are the things you need to do. So that will build you up and make you powerful and resistant so that you don't have to rely on any, any, any pharmacological interventions and vaccines being the worst of the worst. 
Uh, mm -hmm. No question. This is the, the clearly the most lethal, deadly intervention that pharma ever came up with, ever. Well, you know, that message is certainly a message that's threatening to the people who are in power and mm -hmm. who operate the, 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 the public health system because it, the public health system is completely dependent upon pharmaceutical products and vaccines. Certainly vaccines are the centerpiece of mm -hmm. preventive health. Uh, there's no question that it is. And it's no wonder that vaccines and mandatory vaccination is what I call the tip of the spear in the culture wars. Uh, because if you can force people to take pharmaceutical products like vaccines and give them no choice, you've got a captive population that basically you can do whatever you want to uh, mm -hmm. with. And uh, you're offering freedom. You're offering another way. And that's very threatening to the powers that are in control. Well, freedom is a personal choice, but we're also suggesting and encourage people to consider the alternative, which is to empower yourself so that you can have the resources and resiliency to choose freedom. Because right. if you don't do those, then, you, you know, the, these are these strategies are done for, for a reason and purpose, because people are weak because of what they've been exposed to through the propaganda and, and following and not understanding the, I mean, the, it just boggles my mind, the food that people eat, if they had any idea the metabolic poisons they were putting down their bodies, you know, and it's so simple once you get it, it's, it really, and it, it actually, it becomes easy. It, it doesn't require iron willpower or discipline to implement. It is pretty straightforward. And, and then you become healthy, happy, and, po and powerful yourself. And, you know, you don't have to fall to these things, but anyway, I could rant on for hours. <laughs> I, I could uh, but I would strongly encourage each and every one of you to consider supporting our efforts in Vaccine Awareness Week. And as I said, we're, I'm matching the donation because I'm still paying penance for this one, for the, for the mistake of not understanding uh, the dangers of vaccines, like many of you were, I'm, I'm sure, until recently. Uh, some knew before I did, which was in the 90s. But um, it's an important thing. You know, this they're, they're trying to pull wool over your eyes and you know, there's there's just loads of information out there that will provide this the support and documentation about whatever food. And there's so many good books written on that that really uncover the veil, go behind the scenes, and let you know what they're really doing. But anyway, the point is that we know most of people watching this channel know that these are not good. So strongly encourage you to support Vaccine Information uh, National Vaccine Information Center and uh, Barb's work, and uh, we can be in this together. Thank you.